0: The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Healthcare Insight is a program where we're looking at the health of the United States, domestic policy, foreign policy, social policies, anything that's in the current news or current times, we try to make some comment on. Ultimately, we might get back to pure health care, but there's so many other issues that are more important and more timely that we'd like to address on this program. And as far as timely is concerned, we're within a month now of the Easter period. And the most important thing for those of you in the audience to think about is Jesus of Nazareth. Was he a real person? Did he get crucified? Did he rise up from the dead? Is the resurrection real? Because if the resurrection is not real, if this Easter period of time that we're celebrating is a false narrative, then Jesus was just an interesting historical figure that had a lot of influence, and people have followed since his existence, but it doesn't mean that he was uh, God come to earth in human flesh. So the real important question for any Christian, any true believing Christian, is believing in the reality of Jesus' resurrection— And for many people who are not Christians or think they're Christians and say, well, I just believe it by faith. There is much more evidence, historical evidence, reasonable, logical evidence of why Jesus' resurrection makes the most sense of anything else, that any other explanation that you can give for the occurrences that are historically documented, that are facts. They're not just theologians saying this might have happened or this happened because somebody else said this, but it's a real fact that can be proven. And that's what I want to do in this program today. So I want to go back and have a discussion, do an interview with, again, one of my favorite philosophical leaders, uh, religious theologians, uh, but he bases his thoughts on science and facts. And his name is William Lane Craig. And so I want to start off by asking uh, Dr. Craig, how do we begin to really understand this Jesus of Nazareth? We all know about sort of what's usually called the passion, and that is the period of his persecution leading up to his crucifixion. But how do we begin to understand the importance of Jesus of
2: Nazareth? Now in order to answer that question, I'm convinced that we must move beyond the passion to inquire what happened to Jesus of Nazareth after his death. It is Jesus' resurrection from the dead that provides the key to his identity and the meaning of his passion. You see, Jesus had been crucified for his radical personal claims, whereby he had put himself in the place of God himself, claims which were blasphemous in Jewish ears. But the resurrection of Jesus shows that Jesus was no blasphemer after all. The resurrection of Jesus acquires such decisive meaning not because someone or anyone has been raised from the dead, but because it is Jesus of Nazareth, whose crucifixion was instigated because he had blasphemed against God. If this man has been raised from the dead, then the God of Israel, allegedly blasphemed by Jesus, has clearly committed himself to him. The resurrection can only be understood as the divine vindication of the man whom the Jews had rejected as a blasphemer."
1: Well, Dr. Craig, I know you have had other presentations where you establish clearly the existence, the historical proof that Jesus actually existed. And you have other documentation that prove from multiple sources the historical existence of the Passion Time of his persecution and his crucifixion. So that's not in any dispute. So now the presentation that you're making, the information that you're telling us, is about the resurrection of Jesus, which is the most critical part that sort of solidifies that he is, in fact, the Son of God. So what new has happened? Because many people just accept the resurrection on what they might say is faith as opposed to historical documents or any logic as to why it had to have happened. The resurrection had to have happened. Jesus had to have appeared uh, before multiple uh, individuals and groups to prove that he was resurrected. So what's new in the historical research and documentation, maybe of the historical um, uh, scholars, that leads you to believe that there is today more evidence and growing support and recognition of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ?
2: Over the last 50 years, there has been a remarkable transformation in historical Jesus scholarship, such that today the majority of New Testament historians have come to affirm three central facts about the events following Jesus' crucifixion, events which I believe are best explained by the fact of the resurrection of Jesus.
1: Dr. Craig, you now have my attention, hopefully the audience attention, on these facts about Jesus' resurrection. So without wasting any more time in my hesitation here, of wondering what it is, uh, tell us more about the new facts that have been discovered or emphasized or understood by historical uh, documents and uh, Jesus scholars that make such a difference uh, for our audience out there to solidify their belief in the resurrection during this Easter period of time.
2: What are these facts? Well, they are, number one, Jesus' post-mortem appearances. Number two, the discovery of his empty tomb, and number three, the very origin of the disciples' belief in his resurrection.
1: Dr. Craig, I look forward, in our audience, as I'm sure, of hearing uh, the details about all three of those reasons that you stated. Let's start with the first one: the postmortem appearances of Jesus. Most of us just think, well, he showed up in some sort of a, a hologram type of a, a presentation to a few of his followers, his disciples, and uh, we sort of accept that, even though non-believers might say, well, that was just hallucination, or that was um, uh, hypnosis, uh, or that was just a uh, fairy tale that uh, he really didn't come back, and there's no real proof of that. But you're telling us now, in today's world, there is much more substantial proof that we should look at to strengthen our belief that Jesus actually came back, not as a hologram, or not as some ghostly image, but came back as a, a real man, uh, a solid man, just like he was before his death, and he showed his disciples his, um, his body, let them touch him. So give us that explanation as to why Jesus coming back was not just a figment of somebody's imagination.
2: First, then, the post-mortem appearances of Jesus. Undoubtedly, the major impetus behind the reassessment of the historical credibility of the appearance traditions, was the demonstration that in his first letter to the church in Corinth, Greece, Paul is quoting from an old Christian tradition or saying that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the Aramaic name for Peter, then to the Twelve. Now, according to Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia in chapter 1 and verse 18.
1: Okay, so many of us uh, Christians who have looked at, read, studied the Bible, know that Paul um, wrote a large part of the Bible, uh, the book of Acts and many others. But the fact that he's writing this, that you're quoting, does that really mean anything? Uh, How soon after Christ's death uh, was he writing this? How soon after Christ's death? Was he quoting others who saw, experienced, or knew about the resurrection? So the timeliness of when somebody writes something down uh, relative to the event can be absolutely critical in any historical review of the accuracy of the statements that they're making. So when was Paul writing this that you just referenced?
2: Paul was in Jerusalem three years after his conversion on the Damascus Road, on a fact-finding mission, during which time he conferred with both Peter, Jesus' chief disciple, and James, Jesus' younger brother, over a two-week period of time. And he probably received this uh, tradition at that time, if not before. Now, when you realize that Paul was converted in A.D. 33, and that Jesus was crucified around A.D. 30... That means that this list of witnesses to the post-mortem appearances of Jesus goes back to within the first five years after Jesus' death. And thus it is simply idle to try to dismiss these appearances as mere uh, legends.
1: Since the resurrection is the core foundation really on which Christianity is based, is there anything in the Old Testament that indicates that the Messiah in fact, was to be resurrected from the dead, or were the Jews really expecting nothing would happen, he would come, and he would conquer, and we would all go to heaven at the same time, but there was no indication in the Bible of a resurrection. So this is a very unique aspect of what happened with the Jesus of Nazareth. Is that not correct?
2: that it would be virtually impossible for the early church to have invented the resurrection narratives about Jesus uh, after his death on the basis of Old Testament motifs, because there's virtually nothing (laughs) in the Old Testament which would lead them to anticipate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Thus, we can try to explain away these post-mortem appearances as hallucinatory experiences if we want to, but we cannot responsibly deny that they occurred
1: what you're saying now, Doctor Craig, is that Paul's firsthand information of the discussions with the disciples soon after uh, Christ was crucified gives it a lot of validity. And now what we want to do is take it to the next level and say, well, okay, something happened. Uh, and you said it might be hallucinatory, as some non-believers might say, and I'm sure you'll clarify that in a little bit. But at least we're we're on agreement that something happened substantially that was experienced not just by the disciples, but by many others. So tell us more about this explanation of Paul's writing.
2: Paul's information makes it certain that on separate occasions, different individuals and groups of people experienced appearances of Jesus of Nazareth alive after his death. It is historically certain that that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. And this conclusion is today virtually universally accepted among New Testament historians.
1: Dr. Craig, I know that you're building the case for the reality of the resurrection and the historical proof of its existence on a step-by-step basis. So I hope our audience will stay with us because we're going to come back and we're going to delve into this a little bit more deeply so that there is more proof of the actual existence of in human form of Jesus Christ after the resurrection. So join us again just a few minutes after these words uh, from our commercial sponsors.
2: When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of
0: reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144 page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to America's Web Radio Today, we are at the beginning of the new month coming on where we are going to be celebrating Easter, the most important day of the Christian religion. And what we're trying to do in this program is present the historical facts and observations, not just from a religious I have faith, but real historical information documented, uh, written at contemporaneous times about the risen Christ. And so I want to go back to... Dr. William Craig, who has been leading us on this journey today, and have him talk a little bit more about the credibility that Paul's writings now seem to be accepted by most historians, that it has gotten corroboration, that there's uh, a sense that he was writing this within a few years after Christ's death. He was observing the uh, resurrected Christ uh, from what was told to him by the disciples. But I understand there's still. Um, a lingering skepticism about the resurrection um, viewings, the, the observations of Christ after he died by the disciples as is written in the gospel. So can you give us a little bit more, Dr. Craig, about how this skepticism has now been answered, or how do you answer the question about people who would have skepticism about what's written in the Bible about these observations after Jesus' resurrection?
2: Now, at the same time that biblical scholarship has come to a new appreciation of the historical credibility of Paul's information, it must be admitted, however, that skepticism concerning the appearance traditions in the Gospels persists. However, this lingering skepticism about the Gospel appearance narrative seems to me to be entirely unjustified. It is based upon a presuppositional bias toward the physicalism in the gospel appearance stories, Jesus appears bodily and physically alive from the dead. And since many New Testament critics uh, retain the presupposition of the impossibility of nature miracles, these stories are written off as legendary accretions simply on the basis of that philosophical prejudice against the possibility of nature miracles.
1: Dr. Craig, what you're saying is that Jesus just didn't appear as sort of a A cloud, a a vagueness, a hologram, uh, that he was actually a physical human being that came back and was observed and talked to um, his disciples and many others that I'm sure you'll describe before we finish uh, this interview. But uh, talk about this issue of his physicality uh, that many people sort of don't fully understand or appreciate that that is what the Bible is saying, and that's what many observations independent observations were corroborating.
2: The physicality of Jesus' resurrection appearances is unanimously attested by all of our sources for these appearance narratives. And this would be remarkable if none of the original appearances of Jesus were physical in nature. How such a unanimous corruption of oral tradition could occur in such a short time while the eyewitnesses were still alive, remains unexplained. And therefore, I find the uh, skeptical uh, prejudice uh, with respect to the appearance traditions in the Gospels to be quite unwarranted. And I think that the new appreciation of the historical value of Paul's information needs to be accompanied by a reassessment of the Gospel appearance stories as well.
1: So, Dr. A, if I hear you right, what you're saying is that Everybody who saw Jesus saw him in the same way as a physical person actually there with all his wounds from the uh, crucifixion, uh, his nailed hands, his side uh, ripped from the sword of the uh, Roman soldier. Um, They all saw that in the same way, and they wrote it down in a contemporaneous contemporaneous nature. uh, And the different sources corroborate each other in a very timely way compared to when Jesus actually died. You would expect that um, at least one person in a crowd or one of the disciples might have said, no, that's not the way he appeared to me, but he appeared uh, the same to everybody. So I think that's the strong point that you're making uh, in this first section to recognize that Jesus had risen and that he was seen physically, and that all the information is consistent throughout the testimony of all of the observers, and it wasn't just the disciples, it was masses of people, crowds, uh, people that uh, were uh, non-believers, and this resurrection of a physical person was not part of the Jewish tradition, so given that the disciples were Jewish, they would not have thought to think this uh, process up. Certainly the Jewish Messiah was supposed to come and save the world and would not have been persecuted. And he was not supposed to rise up until the final days uh, when uh, when everybody would rise up at the same time. So this re- resurrection of Jesus was certainly not within the uh, Jewish customs, traditions, or expectations. So let's go on to this next point, and that is the uh, discovery of Jesus's tomb and how important that is. Again, to uh, justify the resurrection is a historical fact and a reality. Tell us about the empty tomb and your views on that.
2: Secondly, the discovery of Jesus' empty tomb. Once regarded as an offense to modern intelligence and even an embarrassment for the Christian faith, the empty tomb of Jesus has come to assume its place among the generally accepted facts concerning the historical Jesus. Let me just review briefly some of the evidence that undergirds this conclusion. Number one, the historical reliability of the burial narrative supports the empty tomb. Now, you might ask, well, how is it that the reliability of the burial account of Jesus supports the historicity of his empty tomb? Well, very simply, in the following way. If the burial account is accurate, then the site of Jesus' grave was known in Jerusalem to both Jew and Christian alike. But in that case, it's a very short inference to the historicity of the empty tomb. For if Jesus had not been raised from the dead... And the sight of the grave were known, then in the first place the disciples could never have believed in the resurrection of Jesus.
1: Dr. Craig, will you kind of emphasize this idea that the disciples could never have thought of being Jewish could never have thought of Jesus being raised as a physical being uh, from death, from getting out of an empty tomb and being viewed by so many as a real person, not as a hologram, not as a vision, not as a hallucination, but as a real, tangible, physical person. Uh, Describe that idea from a first century Jew's perspective.
2: For a first century Jew, the idea that a man might be raised from the dead, while his corpse still lay in the tomb, was simply a contradiction in terms. It is very unlikely that the earliest Palestinian Christians could conceive of any distinction between resurrection and physical grave emptying resurrection. To them, a resurrection without an empty grave, he says, would have been about as meaningful as a square circle. Secondly, Even if the disciples had somehow managed to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, they wouldn't have generated any following in Jerusalem. So long as the corpse remained interred in the tomb, a Christian movement in Jerusalem founded on the belief in the resurrection of the dead man would have simply been an impossible folly.
1: So what you're saying, Dr. Craig, is if the tomb was not empty and it had just been visions of his followers... Of seeing Jesus Christ the religious leaders the Jewish leaders at the time would have dismissed the whole idea of Jesus having uh, risen from the dead In in what ways how would you say that they would have debunked the entire start and the most important day and description of the resurrection of Jesus what would the Jewish leadership have said to defeat the idea of of Jesus' resurrection.
2: To the disciples' proclamation, he has risen from the dead, would have been simply to point to his grave there on the hillside, or if necessary, even go to the extreme measure of exhuming the body and parading it through the streets of Jerusalem for all to see that Jesus of Nazareth had not in fact risen from the dead. So for these three reasons, the historical accuracy of the burial account supplies evidence for the historicity of the empty tomb.
1: Dr. Craig, for a layman like myself, you almost seem to be working backwards. You talked about the um, uh, the images of Jesus being real and tangible in a person, not just a, a figment of somebody's imagination or a hologram. So you, you talk about that as being observed by so many different people. Then you talk about the empty tomb and how that was important, because if the body was still there, then you really couldn't have a risen Christ and the current leadership of the uh, the Jewish faith back then would have just paraded him around or pointed to his body still being in the tomb. So now the issue is the burial account um, and how important it is that the process of the entire burial account factors into this proof of Jesus as uh, the Son of God raised up and resurrected and seen uh, during this period of time. And this is why it is so important to the Christian faith and to this period of time that we're observing as Easter that he has arisen, and all these different historical factors, not just something that we accept on faith, but historical factors. Tell us now about The burial account and its importance.
2: The burial account of Jesus is recognized as one of the most historically reliable traditions that we have about Jesus of Nazareth. Most scholars are united in the judgment that Jesus of Nazareth was buried in a tomb by a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin named Joseph of Arimathea late on Friday afternoon. The burial of Jesus in the tomb is one of the earliest and best attested facts about Jesus. But if that is the case, then, as I've explained, the inference that the tomb was found empty is not very far at hand.
1: Well, Doctor, you have put together a very interesting set of facts around the resurrection of Jesus Christ that many of us never have thought of in terms of historical proof and evidence, not just based on, on our faith, but that our faith should be strengthened by the facts that you brought forward. Let me jump to a quick commercial break, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to explore this whole idea of the burial account and further information on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, remember, all this is to strengthen believers' faith. Given this period of time is Easter, the most important aspect of Christianity.
2: We'll be right back. that it would be virtually impossible for the early church to have invented the resurrection narratives about Jesus uh, after his death on the basis of Old Testament motifs, because there's virtually nothing (laughs) in the Old Testament which would lead them to anticipate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Thus, we can try to explain away these post-mortem appearances as hallucinatory experiences if we want to, but we cannot responsibly deny that they occurred. Paul's information makes it certain that on separate occasions, different individuals and groups of people experienced appearances of Jesus of Nazareth alive after his death. It is historically certain that that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. And this conclusion is today virtually universally accepted among New Testament historians.
0: If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential.
2: Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor Show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor Show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor Show, only right here on America's Web Radio.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.
1: Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we are having a discussion with information provided by William Lane Craig, who is a great historian, uh, scholar, um, philosopher, Um, a uh, religious leader with his background in uh, in ministry, but he is not relying on the religious perspective of the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but rather on the historical records and evidence surrounding that resurrection, uh, contemporary with the time and the writers. Many people would say, for example, well, some of that is just being self-corroborated. It's all in the Bible. But the Bible is separate books written at different times by different people, and they all are pointing to the same issues in the same way that Jesus' resurrection occurred. So I want to go back where we finished up the last segment of this program and talk about the burial account and the empty grave and give us more scientific evidence, more historical evidence of the empty grave and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Dr. Craig... Give us a little bit more on where we left off in the last segment.
2: Paul's testimony supports the fact of the empty tomb. Here, I want to mention two aspects of Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that I quoted a moment ago. First, in the ancient formula or saying cited by Paul, the expression, he was raised, following the expression, he was buried, implies an empty tomb. A first century Jew could not have thought otherwise. The notion of the occurrence of a spiritual resurrection, while the corpse still remained interred in the tomb is a peculiarity of modern theology. For the Jews, it was the remains of the man in the tomb that were raised, principally, in fact, the bones of the dead. And for that reason, Jewish funerary practices were to carefully preserve the bones of the deceased in ossuaries or bone boxes until the resurrection at the end of the world. I think there can be no doubt that both Paul and the early Christian formula that he cites, presuppose the existence of the empty tomb in saying that Jesus was buried and he was raised.
1: Dr. Craig, what is the importance of Jesus being risen on the third day, and how does that fit into the Jewish anticipation of the Messiah, or why is it important that it's on the third day, and is that at all accurate that he rose on the third day, that we know for sure it was on the third day.
2: Second aspect of Paul's testimony that is noteworthy is the phrase, on the third day. He says Jesus was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. I think that this probably points to the discovery of the empty tomb. Now, very briefly summarized, the point is that since no one actually witnessed Jesus of Nazareth get up and walk out of the tomb, why did Christians come to date it on the third day? Why not on the tenth day or on the seventh day? Well, I think the most probable answer is that they did so because this was the day of the discovery of the empty tomb by Jesus' women followers, and therefore the resurrection itself naturally came to be dated on the third day. And thus, in this extremely early Uh, oral tradition handed on by Paul, we have very early evidence for the existence of Jesus' empty tomb.
1: Well, I'm not much of a biblical scholar, but I understand that Mark and his writings and the resources that he had recounting uh, the information that he wrote down, since he wasn't one of the original observers of the empty tomb, uh, that his empty tomb story was taking information from multiple sources and writing it down in a contemporaneous way, which is legitimate historical evidence of the accuracy. So can you tell us a little bit more about the empty tomb story as uh, written in Mark?
2: The empty tomb story was probably the end of Mark's passion narrative, that is the narrative of Jesus' suffering and death. Now, Mark didn't simply write this passion narrative himself. Rather, most scholars believe that Mark had sources for the passion story, which he employed in writing his gospel. Now, since Mark is already the earliest of the four gospels, that means that this passion source goes even further back toward the events that it describes. It is an incredibly early source.
1: You know, um. Pastor Craig, most of us don't think about that these stories that we would read in the Bible, that they are concurrent. We always hear that they were, you know, the inspired word of God, but we think that many of them were written 50, 100, 200 years after uh, the uh, event occurred. So give us a little bit more, because this is really important, certainly to me, and I hope for our audience listening to this, that these events were basically concurrent with the uh, event itself. And so the story of the empty tomb needs to have a little bit more explanation, I think, so our audience can fully understand how recent the writings were and the storytelling was to the event of the crucifixion and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Give us that kind of information if it's available, please.
2: The pre and passion story never refers to Caiaphas by name, but simply calls him the high priest, as though he were still in power. Now, since Caiaphas held office from A.D. 18 to A.D. 37, that means at the very latest, this pre and passion source must come from within seven years after Jesus' crucifixion. This source thus goes back to within the very first few years after Jesus' death and is therefore a very ancient and reliable source of historical information.
1: You know, some might say that the crucifixion story, the empty tomb story, the resurrection story is just too simple and that it must not be true because of its simplicity and the way it sort of connects in that uh, simplicity in a very logical way as you presented. Talk about the simplicity of the story and how that might actually be used to verify It's authenticity.
2: The story itself is simple and lacks any signs of legendary development. The empty tomb story, as we find it in Mark's Gospel, is uncolored by theological or apologetical embellishments or motifs that would be characteristic of a later legendary account. Now, perhaps the most forceful way to appreciate the simplicity of this account is by comparing it with the accounts of the uh, empty tomb found in the apocryphal gospels of the second century. These are gospels which arose uh, 100, 200, 300 years after the events, uh, uh, forged under the apostles' names. And these do contain all sorts of legendary fictions about Jesus of Nazareth. For example, in the so-called Gospel of Peter, a forgery from the second half of the second century after Christ, a voice rings out from heaven during the night, and the stone over the door of the tomb rolls back by itself from the door. Then three men are seen descending, or rather two men are seen descending out of heaven and entering into the tomb. Then three men come out of the tomb, two of the men supporting the third man. The heads of the two men stretch up to the clouds, but the head of the third man overpasses the clouds. Then a cross comes out of the tomb, and the voice from heaven asks, Hast thou preached to them that sleep? And the cross answers, "Yea." Now, these are how real legends look. You see, they're embellished with all sorts of theological and apologetical motifs, motifs which are conspicuously lacking from the Markan account, which is stark, by comparison, in its simplicity.
1: Well, you made a very good point in explaining that concurrent simplicity, just talking about the facts, historical facts, what happened to Jesus, is so much more believable than 200 years later, somebody's trying to write something and embellishing it because I guess they thought they needed it or wanted to get the notoriety of writing uh, false uh, gospels that they thought might be taken up by the church or by the uh, the Christian faith in some way, shape or form. But your example shows that if you do embellish it, you make it much more unbelievable. Uh, you don't have the historical proof. You don't have the concurrent observations that occur. Well, let's go to another issue that's that's typically raised by non-believers, or at least believers want to know a little bit more about the idea of women uh, finding the tomb. Why was it women when women were not really accepted as proof of anything? I think you had to have two or three women observe something and testify to it in order to be the same as a single man. Uh, Again, you got to remember the times that all this occurred, women's Um, opinions were not as valued, obviously, as they are today, so it's important that uh, women found this tomb in the real story and not men.
2: The tomb was probably discovered empty by women. Now to appreciate this point, you need to understand two things about the role of women in first century Jewish society. First of all, women occupied a low rung on the Jewish social ladder. Quite frankly, women were second-class citizens in first-century Jewish society. Secondly, the testimony of women was regarded as so worthless that, according to Josephus, they were not even permitted to serve as legal witnesses in a Jewish court of law. How remarkable must it seem that it is women who are the discoverers of Jesus' empty tomb. Any later legendary account would certainly have made male disciples like Peter and John discover the empty tomb. The fact that it is women whose testimony was worthless rather than men who are the chief witnesses to the fact of Jesus' empty tomb is most plausibly explained by the fact that, like it or not, they were the discoverers of the empty tomb, and the Gospels accurately record what for them was a somewhat awkward and embarrassing fact.
1: Dr. Craig, I and I hope the audience is getting a real lesson on history and fact-finding and not just a sermon that we might hear in a church and sort of pass over some of these details that you're describing that aren't just, well, it's religion just accepted by faith, but that you're giving real historical evidence that's of importance in solidifying the story of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We have to take a quick break, and I want to come back and wrap up this week with a little bit more of your historical perspective on Jesus.
2: The burial account of Jesus is recognized as one of the most historically reliable traditions that we have about Jesus of Nazareth. Most scholars are united in the judgment that Jesus of Nazareth was buried in a tomb by a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin named Joseph of Arimathea late on Friday afternoon. The burial of Jesus in the tomb is one of the earliest and best attested facts about Jesus. But if that is the case then, as I've explained, the inference that the tomb was found empty is not very far at hand. that it would be virtually impossible for the early church to have invented the resurrection narratives about Jesus uh, after his death on the basis of Old Testament motifs because there's virtually nothing in the Old Testament which would lead them to anticipate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Thus, we can try to explain away these post-mortem appearances as hallucinatory experiences if we want to, but we cannot responsibly deny that they occurred. Paul's information makes it certain that on separate occasions, different individuals and groups of people experienced appearances of Jesus of Nazareth alive after his death. It is historically certain that, Jesus, or that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. And this conclusion is today virtually universally accepted among New Testament historians.
0: It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to the final segment of America's Web Radio, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Today we are talking about the beginning of the Easter period and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not from a religious standpoint, but from an historical and logically deduced fact of Jesus' resurrection. And we're talking to Dr. William Lane Craig, who's laying this out, not as a preacher giving a sermon, but as a historian identifying the actual facts of that period of time. So let's wrap up this session with Dr. Craig, because now we're getting into a period of time where Christians will say to each other, he is risen. He is risen indeed will be the response to that among Christians. So let's talk about how did the Jews of the time react to the disciples and people saying and believing that he is risen. What was their response, Dr. Craig?
2: Now, what were Jews saying in response to the disciples' proclamation, he is risen from the dead? That uh, his body still lay in the tomb? Uh, that these men were full of new wine? No, they were saying the disciples came and stole away his body. Now, think about that for a minute. The disciples came and stole away his body the earliest jewish polemic did not deny the fact of the empty tomb but rather embroiled itself in a hopeless dispute in trying to explain away why the body was missing so that the earliest Jewish response to the proclamation of the resurrection was itself an attempt to explain why the tomb was empty. And thus we have evidence for the historicity of the empty tomb of Jesus, which is absolutely top drawer because it comes not from the Christian believers but from the very opponents of the early Christian movement themselves. Now I could go on But I think probably enough has been said to indicate why, in the judgment of contemporary scholarship, the empty tomb of Jesus belongs to the historical portrait of Jesus of Nazareth. So it is today widely recognized that the empty tomb of Jesus is a historical fact. It is extremely difficult to object to the empty tomb on historical grounds. Those who deny it do so on the basis of theological or philosophical assumptions. But Assumptions may simply have to be changed in light of the historical facts.
1: Well, the history here is remarkable, and it's based on facts and resources that uh, people can uh, look up for themselves or watch your whole presentation on the YouTube pre- uh, presentation, much of which we're taking segments for this uh, radio program or podcast. But I want to talk about uh, one other thing that I think kind of... Um, solidifies all that you've been saying. You've talked before about one of the critical issues is the belief of the disciples themselves. Um, you had the doubting Thomas who had to be shown uh, that it was God in the flesh as he touched his hands. But we also know that much of this activity on the resurrection was something that the disciples believed. And the history is that that is at least recognized even among skeptics about the actual resurrection that they believe, that the disciples believed, and I think you've got some more information to prove that historical perspective as well. Uh, Take it from here on that issue, Dr. Craig.
2: Even the most skeptical New Testament critics admit that the earliest disciples at least believed that God had raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. In fact, they pinned nearly everything on it. Without belief in Jesus' resurrection, Christianity could never have come into being. The crucifixion would have remained the final tragedy in the hapless life of the prophet from Nazareth. The origin of the Christian movement hinges upon the belief of these earliest disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. But the question now inevitably arises, how does one explain the origin of that outlandish belief? A skeptical critic must posit some mysterious X to get the movement going. But the question is, what was that X? Well, if you deny that that mysterious factor was in fact the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, then you've got to explain the origin of the disciples' belief in his resurrection as the result either of Jewish influences on them, pagan influences on them, or Christian influences on them. Now, clearly it cannot have been the result of Christian influences, for the simple reason that there wasn't any Christianity yet. But what about pagan influences? Well, back around the turn of the 19th to 20th centuries, scholars in the history of religions ransacked the literature of ancient pagan mythology in the attempt to find various parallels to Christian beliefs in pagan myths. The movement soon collapsed, however, uh, and was almost universally given up among uh, New Testament scholars. On closer examination, it turned out that the parallels were spurious.
1: Okay, of the three choices you sort of put out there, there was no Christianity at the time. It had not developed as a a separate faith following Jesus. They just had Jewish um, people who were following uh, Christ at the time. And the second, there is no evidence of any pagan influence that would have occurred, any parallels in the pagan culture that would parallel the rising of a man uh, who claimed to be uh, a god. That didn't occur in any uh, pagan mythology. And so we're really left with the most important one, which is the Jewish faith, because it was the Jews who had Christ persecuted. And was there something in the Jewish faith that actually would have influenced the disciples and others who saw Jesus after the resurrection to have that follow some Jewish custom or belief or the way the Messiah, in fact, would have risen uh, under the Jewish faith, and the history of what they were expecting from their biblical interpretations of the Old Testament.
2: In the Old Testament, the Jewish belief in the resurrection of the dead is attested in three places. During the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the belief in the resurrection of the dead became a widespread Jewish belief. During Jesus' own day, it was accepted by the sect called the Pharisees, although it was still rejected by the sect called the Sadducees. And it's interesting to note that on this score, Jesus actually sided with the Pharisees against the Sadducees in affirming the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. So the Jewish idea of resurrection from the dead was itself nothing new. But the Jewish conception of resurrection from the dead differed from Jesus' resurrection in two fundamental respects. In Jewish thought, the resurrection always, number one, occurred after the end of the world, never within history. It was a resurrection of the dead at the end of the world for purposes of judgment and then going to heaven or hell. Secondly, it always concerned all the people, all the dead, or all the persons of Israel, never an isolated individual. In contradistinction to this, Jesus' resurrection was both within history and of an isolated individual person. Ancient Judaism did not know of an anticipated resurrection as an event of history. Nowhere does one find in the literature anything comparable to the resurrection of Jesus.
1: Well, Dr. Craig, we do have the stories of like Lazarus uh, being brought back from the dead. So that concept was always there, and uh, Jesus performed that, as well as other uh, reviving from the dead during his uh, ministry. So how do you um, how do you square that with uh, the idea that um, uh, rising from the dead was not part of an accepted um, phenomena of the time.
2: Certainly revivifications of the dead were known, but these always concerned resuscitations, the return to the earthly life. In no place in the late Judaic literature does it concern a resurrection to glory as an event of history.
1: So what you're saying is the disciples' anticipation of the resurrection, if they were to expect it, would only be at the end of the world, which was the accepted uh, Jewish anticipation, not the rising and resurrection of Jesus, as um, as occurred. Is that is that? Am I hearing that right?
2: The disciples, therefore, confronted with Jesus' crucifixion and death could only have looked forward to the resurrection at the final day, at the end of the world, and would perhaps have kept their master's tomb as a shrine where his bones might reside until the resurrection on the judgment day, when they and all the righteous dead of Israel could be reunited in the kingdom of God. But they wouldn't have come to believe the un-Jewish and outlandish idea that he was already risen from the dead. We have here a belief which nothing in terms Of prior historical influences can account for. We have a situation here in which a large number of people held tenaciously to this belief, which cannot be accounted for in terms of the Old Testament or the Pharisees, and that these people held on to this belief until they were finally expelled from the synagogue. If the coming into existence of the Nazarenes, a phenomenon undeniably attested by the New Testament, rips a great hole in history a hole the size and shape of the resurrection, what does the secular historian propose to stop it up with? The birth and rapid rise of the Christian church remain an unsolved enigma for any historian who refuses to take seriously the only explanation offered by the church itself.
1: Craig, this has been a fascinating history lesson based on facts, observations, deductive reasoning, And not so much just on the idea of faith. Yes, it supports our faith. It strengthens our faith. It gives believers more reason to believe without just saying it's faith and not being informed. This informs us in a way that I think people have never been informed before. So I want to thank you. Could you just sort of wrap up this program, this hour, that has been so enlightening, with um, sort of a summary of uh, what you've been saying all along? Give us that, that short version so that people listening to this can sort of take that as a final wrap-up and uh, understand what we've been talking about this entire hour.
2: So the question is, how then do you best explain these three independently attested facts? Taken together, these three great historical facts, the resurrection appearances, the discovery of the empty tomb, the origin of the disciples' belief in Jesus' resurrection, all seem to point to the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection as the most plausible explanation.
1: Craig, I want to thank you again, and the only thing I can say to wrap up this pre-Easter program is, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Join us again next week on America's Web Radio for Healthcare Insight.